Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bats podcast covering Boston Red Sox baseball. For everyone staying up late tonight on Periscope, the podcast, as always, can be found on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and literally everywhere. Red Sox are still in a series with the Baltimore Orioles, uh, splitting it so far one game apiece. I will jinx the Red Sox right now by guaranteeing a win tomorrow night with Chris Sale, who has turned it around. Yell at me uh, when the show's over. Uh, and uh, so I am Terry Cushman and am joined, as always, by Jeremy Schilling. And tonight, Stephanie Allen. How are you guys? Not as good as your riveting opening. Oh well, I I knew it would be epic. I was it was it was something special, and I was saving it for you. Uh, how are you doing, Stephanie? I'm doing great. Just herding cats. Uh, okay. <laughs> That's what's happening right now, apparently. So before I do get into the brief recap here, uh, just an FYI for the rest of the audience. Stephanie's with us tonight because she's going to be recording the episode. I am going out of the country tomorrow to visit my aunt in Ireland. I won't be back until a week from Friday. Jeremy, Stephanie, and Josh Nord will be on for Sunday night. And then on, uh, let's see, Wednesday, it'll be uh, Jeremy, Stephanie, and Liz. So I'm very weirdly going to be absent here. The intro for everyone right now uh, on iTunes and all the other apps, you, you know, the, the song uh, wasn't on. So we kind of it was probably an abrupt intro that may or may not be the case going forward. But we do expect the show to basically be along the lines of the similar format. So and it's just for the next two shows. So um a week from Sunday will be business as usual. So getting into the promised super brief recap, Red Sox game one yesterday, Josh Smith on the mound versus John Means. Second inning, Smith loads the bases. Jonathan VR hits a grand slam, puts the Orioles on the board. Four to nothing. Those were all the runs that would be scored. Heath Hembry pitched two-thirds of an inning. Uh, Ryan Weber made his Red Sox debut. I, I don't know if that was his major league debut. My bad on that. Pitched four full innings, only gave up three hits, four strikeouts. Fairly impressive considering uh, not very good of a, a early minor league start this year. So 4 nothing Orioles in that one. And then tonight, a little bit sloppy. Um, Hector Velasquez gets the start, gave up a couple of runs early. Uh, J.D. Martinez, Mitch Moreland uh, got the Red Sox on the board. And uh, Brazier got uh, tagged for a couple of runs, walled in one run. Uh, Red Sox ended up scoring three in the eighth inning in uh, basically eight to five, your, your final tonight. So uh, getting into Heroes and zeros now, and most of you should be familiar with it, but we'll all give a hero throughout the series, even though it's only two games, and then we'll loop back around with our zeros. Stephanie, go ahead, lead off. Who is your hero? 
My hero is J.D. Martinez. Uh uh, driving in his 200th or hitting his 200th home run tonight. So he's just consistent, uh, goes out there and does work, does his job, and uh, he's my hero. What you got, Jeremy? Well, I, I what the, one thing I'd like to highlight about J.D. is after a tough loss last night, he hits a home run in the top of the first hit on the first pitch he sees. Um, so it, that's one of those things where, again, your lead guy does things like a lead guy should. So good hero. Uh, JD is so consistently good. It's, it's kind of hard to believe. Um, the other thing, the other thing I will say that because he is like a Manny Ramirez type production guy, but he does it with seemingly no ego and just goes out and does his job without, you know, flipping his bat, which I don't care about, but some people do. So, uh, he, JD's just been awesome. It's, he's the topic of every conversation we have on this podcast. My hero is Christian Vasquez. Um, he has quietly really put something together here. He's got 90 at-bats. He scored 16 runs, 25 hits, 5 bombs, 14 RBIs. Um, he's hitting 278. He's getting on base at a 333 clip, which is really impressive. And his OPS, now keep in mind, OPS is on-base plus slugging. The Major League Baseball average is 712 to 714. He's over 100 points better than that at 822. Wow. He has been silently awesome. Um, uh, he has responded to the, the situation behind him on the roster with, with Swihart being dealt and then Leon being called up, and Leon offering nothing offensively. He is what he is defensively. He's a good defensive player. He can call a game. We've talked about it. I'm not going to highlight it too much. But Christian Vasquez um, silently is, is becoming, you know, and I don't know if this is sustainable, and I don't think it is, but for now he's my hero because 822 OPS uh, six weeks into the season at that position for this guy shows that he has made major strides offensively. As a catcher, by the way, he's still only 28 years old, so it's not out of the realm that this could be, he could be an above average OPS guy. Terry? Yeah. Uh, Jeremy, one thing on that, the thing I like about Christian Vasquez too is he's uh, he's hitting to both sides of the field. He's hitting all over the place right now, so I love that too. Um, he was going to be my hero, but you stole them from me, so uh, I, I definitely agree with you on Vasquez. He's getting it done at the plate and behind the plate. The other thing about that, and that's a really good point, he does hit the ball the opposite field. Um, he came up with the bases loaded and really tried to do that uh, in the seventh or eighth tonight. Um, right. He Cora calls on him to hit and run, and that, that's not something to scoff at. That, that there's a there's a monumental amount of trust in a manager calling for a hit and run with the guy at the plate. The guy at first really matters less. Um, it's a plus to have speed, but really it's not about the stolen base. It's about you know having someone who can hit behind the moving player to cover second. So, I mean, we've already seen it like literally five times yeah. where the second baseman goes to cover second. And he hits a two-hop bounding ball that would have been right at the second baseman into right field. Now you're looking at first and third and one out, and you're you're cooking. You're in business to score runs. So just, I mean, I don't want to get too windy on this, but he really has been solid both defensively solidifying the position. 
but then he's been more than what we've expected on the offensive side of things. He, and in fact, not only has he been more than what we've expected, he's a hundred points better than the major league baseball average for OPS, which is just outstanding. Yeah. What you got, Terry? Well, you guys went with uh, you guys went with offensive players. I didn't really weigh in on uh, JD there. I just want to say he's the best hitter on the Boston Red Sox. I'm not going to back off of that. He's one of the best hitters in baseball. I haven't seen his batting average dip below 320 since he put that uniform on. I, I don't know what he's at now, but just the most consistent hitter. The guy's a machine. Jeremy, like you said, he's not a guy who really craves the spotlight. I mean, he could he could play in any market, but I hope we retain him. It, it's going to be a lot more painful to me to get to lose JD because because of the value and whatever than it will for Mookie. And Mookie's the sexier guy. He's the flashier guy. But JD all day for me. And I'm kind of surprised, Jeremy. Vasquez is your boy, and uh, I think this is your first. Your first, uh, you know, hero shout out on him. He's. I think that's because he he gives me first choice a lot, so I steal him. (laughs) No, that's that's I've 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 uh, I've had him before, uh, the week after the Swihart deal. But uh, we need to keep a list, like for the year. He's uh, currently tied (laughs) right now with his career most home runs in a season. So. We're just barely into March, so this could very well be a career year for him uh, going forward. In 2017, he was hitting well above 300 until probably mid to late summer, and then the uh, the numbers started coming down to earth. I think he hit like 285 or something to end that season. And uh, a lot of kind of, not so much in the power department, but there were a lot of blue base hits or whatever, but nonetheless, he was consistent. And I think right now, this catching situation is perfect. I think three out of every five for him, it keeps him in a rhythm, keeps him in tune. You can't, you know, you can't deny right now, at least in terms of coincidence, that Sandy has helped turn Chris Sale around and Rick Porcello. I think it's the game calling. We don't have to get into it. But I think our catching situation is absolutely perfect right now. So... I'm thrilled to uh, to see that, you know. And uh, also, my hero tonight is Brandon Workman. Workman has, it kind of surprises me. He's got a 162 ERA on the season, and he hasn't given up a hit in his last 35 batters. Like, the, the last 35, he's basically uh, retired or walked. But no, nonetheless, none of them have got a hit on him. He's only given up three earned runs the entire season, which came uh, on on April 17th. He gave all three up in that one appearance. Hasn't given up a single earned run in any other appearance this season. And that was also, that started his uh, hitless streak as well on the 17th. So maybe because he's walked 13 and, you know, and, and, Plenty of walks since the 17th of April, so maybe that's why he's not really standing out to some people. But what what does Eck call him? Yak, the Yak Master or something? The, yak, the yak Man. Yak, oh, the yak man. man, yeah. Yeah, he said so, he had the man and he just threw Yak on it. <laughs> yeah, 
I meant to pull up his numbers from last season, but this is a guy who pitched in the World Series in 2013, ended up having Tommy John kind of bounce back and forth between Boston and Pawtucket. He was called up last year, had several appearances in the second half of the season. I don't remember him being too spectacular. He did have at least one high leverage appearance against the Yankees. I think that was in game one of the ALDS after sale came out. And I know the bases were loaded at one point, so I forget how the actual sequence of, of that appearance went. But um, the Red Sox, of course, went on to win that game. But maybe finally in 2019, 16 years after him pitching in the World Series, he's finally going to get it together because he wasn't anybody on my radar as someone that could you know, potentially be, you know, a critical late inning guy. And he's, it certainly looks like he, he might be going forward. Yeah. I thought he was the bright spot, like a bright spot in our bullpen in the beginning of the season. And I've always liked workmen, workmen, at least this season. I don't remember him much before. So I, I've liked workmen. I, I highlighted him about a month ago. Um, where I, I thought that he had a ton of upside. I love his curveball, and obviously Eck does too, hence the Yak Man. Um, so, but but I have one concern, okay, because he's been awesome, right? 16 innings or 16 and two-thirds, 23 strikeouts, which is a really high strikeout ratio for a guy who does not have a plus fastball. And again, that goes to speak as to his curveball. They're hitting four zero four one off him. He's got a .9 whip. You know, he's been really, really good. So, except for 14, which is the year he started 15 games and wound up getting hurt, um, in 13, 17, and 18, he had somewhere between 39 and 41 innings pitched. So, very consistent output. Um, He had 15 walks, 11 walks, and 16 walks over that period of time, 40-something innings. This year, he's got 13. So, that's concerning. And, and look, I'm not – I can already – the Twitter people, Sock South, Cy Egger, you know, who else are already going to be chirping me. I'm not, I'm not saying he hasn't been great. He's been great. He's been awesome. I am a workman advocate. So don't fucking at me and get all upset for no reason. You <laughs> butthurt fuckers. But it's concerning that his, his walk ratio is too high. Cause he's not going to be uh, a, a 0.41 average against the whole year. He's going to be somewhere in the low, probably two teens, right? So if the walks don't correct themselves, it, it, that when he when water meets its level with him, it's just something that I'm keeping an eye on. Now, with that said, I, I think that he will lower his walk rate. And on the flip side, I'm very encouraged by his strikeouts because in those years he had 47, 37, and 37 strikeouts. And this year, he's already got 23. So, look, there's a ton to love about Workman. And by the way, the guy's got brass balls. Like, he goes out. He doesn't care. He'll throw his breaking pitch with a guy on third and one out. He probably trusts the catchers, which is probably part of it. But I like the guy. I like him a lot. And I think it's a great hero. And I think he's been great. One stat I saw tonight from Stat Masterson on Twitter hmm. is um, it, he has now pitched a no-hitter in his last nine innings pitched. He has given up zero hits. Uh, in that time, he has he does have eight walks, but I mean, it's it, he's been really, really good. There's no denying it. Just 
watch out for the walks if that becomes a, a, a systematic problem. He had uh, a three seventy eight ERA last season, and uh, I got his postseason numbers up. He didn't have a good point two seven. Not not. Yeah, I think you flipped the numbers there. Three point two seven. My bad. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, I um, miss an opportunity to say you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. <absolutely. laughs> um, he had a decent postseason. Uh, only gave up one earned run against the Yankees in let's see, uh, in two appearances. Has one appearance against Houston. Uh, four earned runs. Not sure. That might have been the Chris Sale loss. I'm I'm not sure. But uh, so a guy that you know, might contribute. Cause like I said, the bullpen was my, my boogeyman throughout the off season. It was what I was worried about. And we may or may not touch on it. Brazier's starting to concern me quite a bit, but, uh, but other than that, I mean, it's been a, a pretty uh, serviceable uh, bullpen as well. So. Uh, Can I touch on Brazier just quickly, really quickly, like less than 30 seconds. Yeah. It, and I asked that rhetorically, cause I don't care what your answer is. I'm still going to say it. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> why the fuck didn't Cora get him out there after the blown save? Why, why did it take him half a week or four days or whatever the hell it was? Get him out there, get him some, some, some pitches. Instead, he sits and stews, and he's a competitor just like most professional athletes, so he sits there and it sits in the back of his mind. He goes out today, he's not effective. I don't yeah, like it. Was, I don't like the that way that's handled, and that's just a little foreshadowing on my um, – uh, zero because my zero is not necessarily the player as much as it is the the state of how it's being handled with this team. But go ahead, Stephanie, your zero. Yeah, my uh, real quick on what you just said. The, um, Eck had a point. He didn't say it as directly as you, but he kind of said that about Brazier today too. That you know he it'll be good for him. He needs to be out there after that blown save. He's been sitting. He's been stewing. So great point, Jeremy. Uh, my zero as much as I. Th- thought it was going to be Marcus Walden for his game-tying home run that he gave up. It's really Dave O'Brien because he called it just before Marcus Walden gave up his game-tying home run. He praised how great Marcus Walden had been, and then literally they hit the home run off him. So it's Dave O'Brien and his ability to jinx uh, most plays. So there you go. That's mine. What so, you got, Jeremy? All right. Well, first of all, Dave O'Brien, Don, Don Arcillo had – an every man personality, which most of the fan base connected with there. If you want to go down a rabbit hole, go Google Don Orsillo and Jerry laughing on YouTube and, and literally watch, you know, the pizza throwing incident where the episode, the game where Jerry fell doing the air guitar and, and countless others where Don Orsillo be for, slightly lost the professionalism and I say that in a good way because he showed his personality he laughed and he connected with the fan base like really no other play-by-play guy we've had in a long time here has done and that's across all four sports O'Brien is literally a suit and a tie talking into a mouthpiece and I just he lacks that and so he becomes very systematic he was much better on the radio in my opinion because on the radio you're really just kind of describing what you're seeing. And so there's less time for the chitter chatter between pitches because on TV, you can see, you can see that the pitch was seven feet outside. You don't need uh, Joe Castig to, to explain it to you. So he, to me, he's just better on radio. You know, now with that said, Walden, you touched on Walden there in that comment. I just want to say that that was a solo home run. Yeah. 
And and that's that. There's something to be said about that. He that he got two quick outs and then gave up a home run and then got an out, which is fine. Like home runs happen, especially if you're going to give up solo jobs, you're going to win. It's when those turn into three run jobs, like the one Moreland hit, um, or the one JD hit, which was a two run job. Where that's problematic. So the fact that Walden gave up the home runs not concerning. What's positive out of that at uh, thing um, is is the ability to get out, give up the the home run on one bad pitch, then get another out and, and move on. So I don't necessarily have a problem with that because you, you just this this lineup's good enough where you don't need to win games three to two. My zero is Josh Smith. Now it's not Josh Smith per se because I, I Josh Smith is Josh Smith and he's not at fault for how he pitched um, you know he easily could have given up a home run in the first but for the fan interference and left with JD um, which I thought was the right call but he was hanging on the edge there then you know, the bases get loaded zero outs um, I think he got a guy who's not a major league hitter to punch out and then he got another punch out on a high fastball so it, you know it is what it is then he gives up the home run Um it speaks to the organizational issue with the starting pitching right now. Um, this team had depth coming into the season. I know part of that problem was right being suspended for PEDs. That that's something that's unforeseeable. Um, Velasquez, uh, you know, I was wondering why Josh Smith, Josh Smith was pitching in this game. And what we didn't know on Sunday when we recorded, which we know now is they were about the DL David Price, so they knew Velasquez was going to pitch in that spot. So that's why Josh Smith pitched and not Velasquez. This is scary. This is scary. Um, you know, Brian Johnson, I think, is still a week away, they said, from pitching in a rehab start, and they expect him to make two to probably three starts. So he's still a month away or three weeks away. The, 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 my zero is Josh Smith to highlight the microcosm of what is potentially an issue that could sink this team, a team that's already off to a relatively bad start. So um, I thought he did, he personally battled and gave us as much as he could give us. He's, he doesn't have big league stuff. His fastballs, eh, it's flat. It's 91, 92. It's not good enough. He doesn't have elite command. And then his slider, which is obviously his best pitch uh, also was the pitch that got him killed on the home run. So, you know, it just uh, he's a triple-A or a 4A player. Tough spot for him, even against the worst team in baseball. And then they don't score runs. Um, so, you know, just it's a zero, but it's kind of like just to highlight a few of the problems we're facing more than anything else. I didn't really get a chance to weigh in on Dave O'Brien, so I'm going to kind of loop back to that. Um, I've not been a Dave O'Brien advocate. I would advocate, excuse me. I would probably say that when Orsillo, when the it was announced that he would not be returning the following year, so that was shortly uh, before the end of the 2015 season. That was one of my worst days as a Red Sox fan. Now I've only been a hardcore fan since the you know early and mid 2000s. I've said before, you know. Baseball wasn't my first sport. It was probably my third sport. It's my number one sport now. But, you know, a couple of the worst, you know, games I ever saw was game seven against the Yankees, the Aaron Boone game. Um, the Rays knocking us out of the ALCS was a bad one. I, I don't know that that was too painful. You know, I mean, we went pretty far, but, you know, and we were just coming off of a 
World Series win, but the day Francona got fired, that was one of my worst days. And uh, Orcello getting fired is up there. And I just posted, uh, I think it was yesterday, so you don't really have to go too far down on my Twitter feed. Hunter Renfro hit an epic Grand Slam walk-off for the Padres over the weekend. And Orcello was on the call because, you know, that's the team he works for now. And just an epic call. And it's a 30-second clip. You can find it on my Cushman MLB account. I encourage you to watch it. Like, Dave O'Brien is not as good as that. He's not as good as Michael Kay from the Yankees. I'm not too familiar with the Houston crew, but whenever they're playing, that's the, you know, whether they're home or away, I always listen to their broadcasters. They're really good. You know, for the Red Sox being a perennial, you know, playoff contender, even a perennial World Series contender, it's just so disappointing that we have a guy like O'Brien in the booth who I don't think he really connects with, you know, with a lot of Boston fans. You know, it's probably about 50-50. And, Jeremy, when you mention Orsillo and, and Remy bantering, those are usually in games that were like well behind or well ahead, and they're just trying to trying to keep the audience to make it interesting. Whether he or Cello's stealing mustard from the away team's cafeteria to bring it back to his hotel room, or Remy's losing a tooth, pizza guy. Remember the boob grab or whatever when they both just fucking lost it. You can find that right on YouTube. Um, I miss yep. those days. We don't have. Them. <laughs> Yeah, I can, appreciate Eck in the booth, though. So, I, well, Steph, yeah. I, I'm an Eck guy, and this is yeah. blasphemy, but in <laughs> you know we're in the trust tree here. No one's going to criticize me for this take. Eck is better than Jerry Remy. He's more entertaining. And, by the way, he was a better player, so he's more relatable as to his knowledge. But with that said, then this is my last comment on Orsello. There are some coward things that this organization has accomplished in the last 10 years, okay? The failure to respond to the David Price Eckersley on the plane situation with JBJ and Pedroia, the little leader, is probably number one. That is one of the more like embarrassing things that I've seen one of the teams I root for uh, just botch. But number two, and, the, and I only say it's number two because it, uh, it was a little more quiet was they blamed Orsillo for poor ratings after they went back-to-back in last place. It, I mean, you got to be fucking kidding me. Your team sucks. The product sucks. Yeah, fans stopped coming. They, they, if you remember back, they ended the fake like sellout thing that they had been maintaining. You know, they, 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 the sellout streak had the real sellout streak had ended. And but they were they were whatever they were doing, bringing homeless people to sit behind pesky pole or what. They kept the farce going, and like you know, they'd announce it every day, and like it got to the point where it was a topic of conversation in the media, how bad and how it was, and they kept doing it in the face of that, like it was insulting. But even more insulting was at the conclusion of that year to file or solo, and then to say that basically. The, the broadcast wasn't drawing as well and they needed to move in a different direction. Hey, fucking morons, okay? The, the broadcast was waning in, in attendance because your fucking product sucked. It's because your team sucked. 
It had nothing to do with Don Orsillo. And Terry made a really good point. They, they, Orsillo and Remy as a team did a great job of using the humor in a moment that was appropriate. And it's, I'm not, and that can't be understated. I mean, a lot of those moments, you're dead on right. And sometimes you'd miss them because it was 13 to 2 and you'd go watch the Celtics play. And then you'd wake up the next morning and they'd be playing the click the clip on 98.5 or if it was long ago when people still listen to WEI, the clip would be on the morning radio show and you, that's how you'd hear it because they, they were doing things like bringing people around or keeping them around in moments that needed the levity. Uh, but the, the way that the whole thing happened just sucked and it just leaves a bad taste in, taste in my mouth even now thinking back on how they basically just fucked Orsello for no reason. They scapegoated him. Um, and, and just a really cringeworthy handling of the whole situation by the Red Sox management. One last uh, thought on that, and then I'll finally do mine. Um, actually, and one other one briefly. Uh, with the Eckersley incident, Dave Dombrowski and Red Sox ownership both did apologize to Eckersley. It was just John Farrell and the rest of the Red Sox roster that did not uh, own it. Um, and then with with the Eckersley, you know, Remy thing, I have no problem with anybody putting Eckersley number one under any circumstances. I'm highly entertained by him. I know he hasn't wanted a full schedule previously. He doesn't like road games. He's open about the fact he's a recovering alcoholic, and he thinks, you know, a lot of road schedules would, you know, would, you know, put that in jeopardy and, and so I think the 85-game schedule is perfect. And I want to say this about Remy. You know, he, he quite isn't the same as he used to be. And I think part of that is because he's working with Dave O'Brien. Dave O'Brien's just not going to get him animated. He's just not that type of guy. And I heard, I think it was last season, but they were going to, like, some road stadium or whatever, and... Remy's like, yeah, oh, when we when we go to that town, I go here, here, and here. He goes, Dave, what do you do when we go here? Dave goes, oh, I uh, I just hang out in the hotel room. You know, why go there <laughs> when I go to room service? You know, because he's a fucking hermit with not much personality. So Dave O'Brien I can't wait till he's gone. It's probably going to be forever because, you know, that's how Nesson is. I hate Tom Warner because he was the guy who ultimately uh, canned Orsillo. So. Anyway, my my uh, we can have a little bit of fun with mine. I'm going with Yankee fans as my zero easiest target ever. But what's kind of triggering me here is everything, everything. But with the Chavis, you know, rise, you know, so many Yankee fans are chirping that, oh, he's a steroid guy. And they're showing screenshots of the initial tweets that were sent out when when Chavis failed a little over a year ago. And I mean, come on, it's like they're it's like they're pretending that the needle count for the Red Sox is higher than the Yankees. Their guys, they haven't won a World Series without without steroids since 1978. I'm assuming they weren't around yet. Maybe they were. I don't know. But it's been at least that long since they've they've won a World Series. And. I just, I don't know. They I'm, say, re I'm ready to chime in here when necessary, just FYI. Yeah, go ahead. I'll probably... Hey, go ahead. hey, fuckheads. 
How about Alex Rodriguez? How about Giambi? I mean, are you kidding me? The, to hear the, the only dumbest thing after 27 ring chants is steroids. Complain about the Red Sox and steroids or anybody else in steroids. It's just the, the prototypical wife beater with a gold chain and a bad haircut, you know, bad accent douchebag who literally is so unintelligent that they can't even evaluate and analyze that criticizing steroids as a Yankees fan is so stupid that you, you forget momentarily that they probably don't know how to read. I mean, it's honestly ridiculous. And Alex Rodriguez got suspended for whatever it was. He actually took an injury settlement because he was so broken down after he couldn't take steroids anymore that he was just so clearly done. And he had the, he had the, uh, he actually had a moment of clarity where he, he walked away from the game and left money on the table to just kind of leave. And yeah, he got a settlement and it was lucrative, but it, he still left money on the table. I mean, you dumbasses, you had to pay the guy to go away because he got popped for steroids. And when he had to get clean, he couldn't be anywhere near the same player. So, I mean, this fan pace, I mean, this fan base, every time you think they can't get any dumber, they go ahead, okay, and buy the crotch rocket and dumb and dumber and show up to save uh, Harry. I mean, it's just, Jesus Christ, you morons. You know what I love is when we find something we can all agree upon. I, it doesn't happen often, but wow, no. this is great. Kumbaya. Might be the first well, typically it's hard to it's hard to agree with Terry's awful take, so that's more of a yeah. Terry issue than anything else. Right. Right. Am I, I got the I got the bad record to prove it with everything so far this year as well. But um oh, also to add record, to it record. to add to the Yankees thing, I mean, with the Red Sox, I don't know that big poppy used steroids after uh two thousand the second of his 254 home run years. Um, I, I just don't know that there's nobody obvious to me that was on it. Well, maybe Barry in 2011. That was a shady season. 33 home runs. But other than that, nothing stands out. You can go back as recently as the last Yankees World Series. A-Rod was on that team, most likely juicing. Melky Cabrera went on to uh, fail eventually. So did Robinson Cano. The three of them happened to be best friends. And one of my favorite things to bring up to all these Yankees people, especially like since it's suddenly cool to like Alex Rodriguez, like I don't see many A-Rod shirts around, you know, when I'm out and about, when I'm at a Red Sox game or, or wherever. I just, I just don't really remember seeing a ton of those shirts. You see a ton of Jeter shirts and, and, um, you know, others as well, but, but not so much A-Rod. So one of my favorite things to bring up is the fact that, and you can go watch this on YouTube on the 60 minute special where they interviewed Alex Rodriguez, steroid supplier. Um, they, people close to Alex Rodriguez and Rob Manfred, the commissioner of MLB does confirm this people close to Alex Rodriguez were, were sending death threats to Tony Bosch, who was Alex Rodriguez's steroid supplier, and they tried to give him $50,000 if he would agree to go to Colombia and lay low for a while. Now, Colombia is one of the most dangerous countries in South America. 
huge drug corridor. You know, if you're being asked to go there to lie low for a little while, <laughs> pretty sure you're not. Don't plan back. on returning. Yes, yes, that is a permanent destination. And so I love to bring that up. And and the 60 Minutes host, I forget his name, but he was he pressed Rob Manfred, and and they said the the one individual of greatest concern to Tony Bosch was a known associate of Alex Rodriguez. So very close to going into Aaron Hernandez territory if Bosch agreed to do it or whatever. Because with Bosch, everybody was closing in on him. The feds were. So he had prison coming at him. He had a possible assassination coming at him from the Rodriguez people, you know. And so that's one thing I love to bring up. And Rodriguez has since become this media darling. And I just, Yankee fans are the last people who should be calling the kettle black. And I guess, uh, I guess I'll just leave it at that. So uh, speaking for Terry, the whole thing with Alex Rodriguez is, is, has been alleged by others. Uh, namely, I think HBO did a real sports on it or ESPN E60 or some writer. I don't know. That's not our story. That's not something we are telling people has happened. We we are, and Terry is specifically summarizing something he's heard from a third party source. So um, that whole thing is is has been alleged. Nothing's been proven. Nothing. No charges have been brought against uh, Alex Rodriguez or anybody else. So it's just important to note that that's something that uh, we're regurgitating for the people that are listening to this podcast. And for the people that are hearing it for the first time, I would go to those sources for the information and not hear the, the, the just generally speaking as to Alex Rodriguez likability. I've never seen anyone in professional sports, um, do a complete 180 as to their image from playing to the media it's been kind of remarkable, and I actually think it shows intelligence on behalf of Alex to understand and show self-awareness in the juxtaposition between his playing days, the steroid stuff, and where he is now. Um, he's been great on Barstool Sports. He's been very humorous with Big Cat and the Corp, and that whole like fake thing with B Big Cat being like a, a quasi-employee. Um, Barstool... Uh, produced a mini series called the core uh i can't remember the name of it but they had him as a uh, a co-host and they interviewed kobe bryant and, and all these famous really hard to get at people and if you listen to that it'll give you a little bit of insight about what has made him so likable um so i i don't know that alex rodriguez is a broadcaster isn't in any indication on the fan base the fan base is a bunch of scumbags and the people that are sitting there and so unironically chanting steroids at the Red Sox, they're, they're, they're dumb people, like stupid. <laughs> like, I mean, you're, you're a big old dummy if, that's, if you're a Yankees fan saying shit like that. It's so stupid. It's so ignorant. It's, it's clueless. It's lacking uh, any self-reflection whatsoever. I mean, I could go on and on and on with the adjectives, but... You know, it's it just, it's hard to believe that that's even a topic of conversation anyways. I suggest we move on. I'm, I'm not going to move on. I got some quotes right here. Um, oh, no. This, this pertains to the, um, the death threats to Tony Bosch, who was um, Alex Rodriguez steroid supplier. And this can all be, you can, you can see it 
you know, in the interview format on YouTube, if you look up the 60 minute segment. And uh, here we go. So one of uh, Alex Rodriguez associates said to Tony Bosch, quote, well, you should, I think you should leave town. We're gonna get you a plane ticket to Columbia, Bosch said. We want you to stay there until this blows over. We're gonna pay you. I forgot what the number was, 25,000 or 20,000 a month. Then when you come back, we'll give you another 150,000. After he turned down the offer to lay low, Bosch said his ex-girlfriend received a text message in Spanish saying Bosch would not live to see the end of the year. And this is uh, in quotes from Manfred, the individual that was of greatest concern to Mr. Bosch was a known associate of Alex Rodriguez, uh, Rob Manfred says. The person interviewing uh, Manfred says, are you saying that Alex Rodriguez and or his associates were involved in threatening to kill Tony Bosch? Manfred says, I don't know what Alex Rodriguez knew. I know the individual involved has been an associate of Mr. Rodriguez for quite some time. So pretty sinister, sinister stuff from Alex Rodriguez, who, in my opinion, is a complete sociopath, a pathological liar, gave the same lies over and over again, interview after interview, months after months, and, you know, ultimately got what he deserved with a uh, season-long suspension. Uh, is what it got reduced to on appeal. But, you know, absolute piece of shit. And, um, I, you know, that's my favorite thing to bring up when the when the Yankees, you know, come after uh, Red Sox fans about steroids. Because, like I said, aside from maybe Ellsbury, you know, with shady numbers in 2011, there's really nothing stands out uh, post-2004. So, uh, any... Thoughts before we move on to David Price? No, but as we transition into David Price, I think was that your tweet, Jeremy, that said, can't we have anything nice? When, yeah, when can't we, we have nice Price, things? Can't we have nice things when we found out Price went on the IL? No. Don't, <laughs> oh, wait. I gotta, <laughs> don't do that, Stephanie. I just did that for you. Yes, I don't Terry. recognize I don't recognize the IL, but uh, as a compromise, I will stop referring to it as the DL. What I'm going with from now on, and I'm gonna, it's gonna come up on the show all the time. It's gonna come up on my Twitter feed. It's the UMF list from now on, which stands for the useless motherfucker list. And I'm not saying it to make fun of you know, the player necessarily. I mean, well, maybe with Pedroia, you know, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make fun of David Price, but, um, but if you're on the DL, well, I already loved it. If you're on the UMF, you are technically useless. You are not playing in a game, so you're useless. And it's all inclusive and equally offensive to anybody, you know, that wants to be butthurt about it. But it's the UMF list as far as I'm concerned from now on. And the small stake, uh, what is it? The Small State Big Takes podcast has also adopted that uh, as well. Um, yeah. So want me to lead off since I, I got the hottest take on this? Or, or... Yeah, let's hear it. Okay. Um, 
so there was a couple of interviews yesterday. David Price was a little bit coy in his interview, would not give specifics as to exactly when the elbow started bothering him. And several people tried to get it out of him, but Price kept saying, well, it, it's hurting me today, you know, and, and that's what's going on. Alex, uh, Alex Cora had an interview uh, later on in the day and because he meets with the media every day, usually around four or five, something like that. And he kind of let it slip that it had been bothering David Price since his last start, which at that point was like three or four days earlier. And he was saying that if if David Price was needed yesterday, he would have been in the rotation. If, if this was like a September start and we're in a division race, high pressure, he would have started. He then goes on to say that there's no timetable for his return. So he's not even healthy enough to give a timetable, but he could possibly start if needed. I just, <laughs> I, you can't have it both ways, I don't think. And we heard the same rhetoric, the same language last season when talking about Chris Sale. You know, the, I think they were kind of giving time frames, but they were they kept getting pushed back and they had the benefit of it because we led the division by several games. But September wasn't a good month. And whenever we drop a couple of games, you'd start hearing stuff about Chris Sales, you know, ramping up his, you know, his workouts and whatever, you know, on flat ground and then on the mound. And then we would win some more and then they'd pull him back. And, and then he did come back finally at the end of the year. Didn't look great. You know, very much like what we saw for his first handful of starts this year, first four or five starts, and he couldn't locate anything but his slider in the in the playoffs. He went to the hospital after I think the Astros start, and just not healthy, not healthy. And you know, that's the you know I saw I've heard it before, and then tons of mixed signals from David Price himself in twenty. 17 he he has the he has a unique elbow was the term for it where it, it can heal itself apparently only nolan ryan is the only known pitcher ever to also be able to do that and you know and everything kept getting pushed back always pushed back price spent the whole season downplaying you know the injury but after a handful of starts in the month of june uh, may and june he wasn't, he never started after that and had to be a super reliever in the playoffs, you know, and used sparingly. So I just, I don't know what to expect, you know, with Price. And and we need David Price right now. We're one game under 500, and I think we're about to go on the toughest stretch of the year. So not the time to not have a guy who essentially has been our ace. I mean, He's been the most consistent guy all season. And so I just, I guess the thing is, is I don't trust the Red Sox and I'm sick of being lied to. You guys' thoughts. Go ahead, Steph. Well, I, I thought I saw a tweet today that said he threw from even ground and was feeling good. And it, 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 you're right, uh, Terry. They do kind of go back and forth like one minute, you know, he's on the, D-L-I-L-U-M-F list, call it what you want, he's on it, um, out of ne seemingly nowhere, and then 
you know, you hear from him and he's like, oh, yeah, I'm, it's just a little something I felt. I feel fine now. I'm throwing from um, from even ground. I, I don't I'm not as worried as you are, Terry, but I am worried in that we are going on a long stretch. It's going to be tough. And we have, I don't know, three pitchers that we can count on at this point and a Josh Smith. So there's that. What you got, Jeremy? Um, I mean, I'm worried. I mean, if, if a guy that we rely on as much as David Price is not available, it's concerning. Right. We're throwing, yeah, we're throwing Josh Smith out there. Like you said, I mean, it's a problem. Um, who doesn't have big league stuff? He's a four a player and he probably should, his role should be limited if at all to the big league level in a mop up or long relief situation. And we're instead he we're He's pitching in a game where for the first time all season, you have a chance to get to 500 and you lose the game. So, yeah, I mean, I think we can all admit that it's concerning. And um, this team is good enough, I think. Okay, now, obviously, the Hmm. first 40 games are, you know, potentially kind of counter to my point. But offensively, starting rotation, um, just generally speaking, uh, organizationally, they have enough talent at the big league level. Well, you should be able to withstand two weeks or so without David Price. Um, but we're not in that situation, which makes it a little bit worse. Um, I am more of a, a fan of op, um, taking things cautiously instead of rushing them back. Um, you know, one of the things that managers love to say across all sports, managers, coaches, you know, whatever. Well, if this was a playoff game, he'd pitch. Or he'd play. Right. You know, that's so different in my mind. Like, if it's a playoff game, you know, especially in in football where, you know, it's it's do or die every game. There's no series. But even in the other three sports, including baseball, you you, if you lose your season's done and then you have the offseason to to um, to heal. And Chris Sale is a good example where he clearly wasn't right, but he continued to pitch when he could. And they won, and then he theoretically had time to heal. Now, there's some debate about that, but I'm pitching in the playoffs when you're on the verge of either the season ending or, you know, or even if you win, you're just you're on the verge of the off season. You're going to heal so much different than game 38, and you still have 127 to play or whatever it is. Um, I, I am a fan of if you can afford it. And I still think we can handling this thing cautiously, um, because because if you handle it like a playoff game, and then he does get hurt, and it's a big thing, and it's a sixty day DL situation, then you lose him for the whole year. And I think and that, that's what yeah. Core is trying to do. I mean, I, he, I I've seen tweets or I've seen media mentions of it that that's kind of his approach, right? Is to more of a maintenance, and you know, we see it with the way he rests players and. Um, being really cautious, especially with his pitchers. He doesn't want to get us, you know, we're hoping to play into the postseason, and he doesn't want to get them into a situation where they are dealing with something major later. I, I get that. Um, I don't like it, but I get it. Um, <sighs> Terry? I'm just uncomfortable because what's the narrative <laughs> if we lose tonight? If we lose tonight's game because our second spot starter in a row 
couldn't get it done. And and now we've dropped two to the shitty Orioles. I just, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with that. And the Red Sox, the one thing I will give them credit for is we didn't know anything about this until, you know, until yesterday, three or four days after the start. We didn't know anything about Nathan Apaldi until... I think just a day or two before he was going to start, and it was already determined that he needed surgery. So I'm fine with them keeping it hush-hush at first until some of their answers are figured out. But once those answers are figured out, I don't want mixed signals. I don't want to be. I don't want to be lied to. I just. I would rather my team be transparent. That way, there's no media circuses. I just think it's better. And what happens if if Chris Sale goes down two weeks from now out of nowhere? I mean, would that be the most shocking thing ever? A guy who's like throwing, it seems like nothing but sliders. I'm just, you know, and, and throwing sliders, that's not very good for your arm. It's a very violent motion. So I, I don't expect that to happen, but I wouldn't be shocked. And But our depth, I guess, is what I'm getting at. We have no depth, you know, and it looks like Mike Shawarin is going to get called up. He might have been called up sooner had he not pitched as recently as the third. His minor, his Pawtucket numbers are a little encouraging. He's pitching so far this year to a 2.72 ERA. His last start out, he went eight innings and uh, gave up five hits, no earned runs. Um, you know, typically three to seven strikeouts. Walks aren't crazy, although two starts ago he did have five, but that's really the only one that stands out. So that could be someone. I don't know how that translates to the major league level. The guy who pitched very well uh, last night, Ryan Weber, um, was impressive. But again, this is the Orioles, and he has terrible minor league numbers this year. A five-something ERA doesn't look like he can go too far. So. You know, it hurts right now, and there's no timetable on David Price, so we don't know we don't know when he's going to be back, and we know Evaldi's not going to be back for probably at least another four weeks or so, at the very least. So I don't know. And then the other thing, too, is James Shields is kind of, get you know, getting some attention right now. He's currently unsigned. The Tigers are in on him and one other team as well. And the Red Sox aren't in on him. Like, why wouldn't you go get a guy like that? Why wouldn't you pay a $3 million base salary to Gio Gonzalez, you know, a month or so ago to have the depth? We have no depth whatsoever. We're, we're taking scrap heap guys out of the minor leagues and hoping for the best. And I just don't know how sustainable that's going to be, you know, for the next several weeks it's hard to disagree with the certainly the latter of your points um i i, I think the plan I, I i think internally they don't think either injury is season ending and so what they're trying to do is get to the point where they're back and they know that James Shields is not going to pitch them into a playoff series. So they, they're saying, well, we could sign James sign James Shields, but when Evaldi comes back, we don't have a spot for him. And if Evaldi doesn't come back, then this isn't going to be our year anyways. Now, 
you know, th- there is some depth issues, and it's crazy because I spent all offseason talking about how they had depth. Um, but Velasquez has made a number of spot starts, and for whatever reason, they refuse to build him up to more than 45 to 60 pitches. So he's a three-inning guy, which I'm sorry, why haven't they converted him to a starter at this point? He's making more starts than relief appearances. He should be up to five innings. That That's stupid, in my opinion. I don't understand it. Um, and I think it's handicapping the bullpen to not do it because he's not he, – he pitched, I think, one game last series and mop-up duty and didn't pitch well and then still started two days later. It's like, would you just build him up? He's clearly one of your five guys now, you know? So it just it doesn't make a lot of sense to me how they're handling this thing. Um, I understand the, the, the desire not to overreact, and it doesn't seem like David Price is going to be out in an extended period of time, so you got to bide your time. And if you were 20 and 13 or 20 and 14 or whatever the Rays are, you'd have a little bit more leeway. You know, if this was last year at this time, certainly you'd have tons of leeway. And what the problem is, is that they, I think, see themselves as playoff te- a playoff team still. And so they're saying, well, we're not going to overreact. But the media and the fan base is like, well, holy shit. We've got two teams above us that are winning. It, overreact. Somebody overreact. Like, go do something. Like, we can't just keep floundering and being a game under, or two games under 500. So... The juxtaposition between the way the media and the fan base views this thing and the way management either views it or is just handling it, it's not consistent, and it's creating doubt in the mind of the fan base. And But frankly, rightfully so. Yeah, I mean, hopefully we weather the storm. The timing of this, like I said, isn't good. We're about to face the Mariners, which we'll talk about here in a few minutes, and they lead the league in home runs, so that's a team that can actually match, and we're not going to get into juice baseballs, but I'm a little bit worried, you know, Fenway, especially for their right-handed hitters, you know, they could make our lives hell, especially with some of these, you know, Ryan Webbers and the Mariners have come back down to the middle. I mean, I think last time they checked, they were 19 and 17 after that ridiculous start. So they're actually they still, playing. They still lead the league in home runs, though. Yeah, I didn't dispute that. I just said that they've come back to the middle as far as their win-loss record, and they don't scare me the same way. Um, I mean, look, if you take the, the, the West Coast start out of this thing, the Red Sox are an above 500 team so after the West Coast swing. And, and I mean, that's not how re- the real world works. you you got to account for the games, all the games you play. But uh, Seattle has, you know, water has met its level with Seattle. Um, they, they're a West Coast place team. They're going to be playing in Boston. And I'm not saying that the series is going to go one game or another, but it's not going to be what happened, which was basically a complete evisceration of the Red Sox. Uh, yeah, you know, we were all shell shocked. Yeah, I just don't see that happening. And by the way, they do hit. They do. No one's taking that away from them. They hit. They swing the bats. They're aggressive, especially aggressive in the strike zone. Fenway Park. I mean, you have to be a moron not to know that Fenway Park is conducive to offensive production. So you know, it, it, it may be a problematic matchup. Um, one thing I'd like to see, and I thought I was going to see, and I think we saw it today. We just kind of had a momentary lapse yesterday against a guy with a good changeup. 
the offense needs to understand that they're going to have to overcome some depth issues, uh, some some starting pitching issues with Evaldi out, Price out, uh, Wright's not available. I mean, we can go on and on, but the offense is hitting. Now, in baseball, you're only as good as your next day starting pitching, and yesterday we ran into a guy who's been really, really good. Sub-3 ERA, um, you know, great changeup, and he, he, you know, credit to the bullpen. Because the Red Sox actually were in the game, even though they gave up a grand slam early, but they just didn't hit, and that was a one-off because they, tonight they came out and they scored, they put up eight runs. So, and I think they're going to score tomorrow for for uh, Chris. So uh, the offense, I think, knows what's in front of them, knows what they have to do. They have to overcome some deficiencies in the starting pitching. I think they're capable of it. I think they know it. I think they know they have to do it, and I think they will do it. Now, with that said, do you win a World Series but just saying, like, hey, two of our top five guys are out. Offense scores a touchdown every night so we can win, you know, at a 600 clip. That's not how it works. But in the short term, it could work that way, and I'm hopeful it works that way. And do I think we could outslug Seattle in the series where runs are scored? Yeah, I do. But, you know, look, the team is talented. You know, Mookie's back around. Benintendi's been good. Vasque, you're getting a... The offense, I've already highlighted the offensive production from catcher, except for when Leon plays. Uh, Xander's been good. Uh, Devers, you can say what you want about his defense. He's been good. Uh, Moreland with another home run tonight. Oppo, Taco to put this thing away. Um, and then Chavis. I mean, <laughs> and JD's hitting. And, and, you know, I mean, really the only offensive issues are JBJ and Leon and the, night, and the days he starts. Other, and Pierce. But other than that, I mean, this team is slugging. They're hitting the hell out of the ball. So I really do. I'm optimistic. And I agree with Terry on a lot of his points with the starting rotation and David Price. But on the flip side, everyone has to be encouraged by the offense. Now, by the time we're into mid-June, Evaldi will be back, Price will be back, and hopefully we'll have a well-rounded roster with a well-rounded approach to winning baseball games. Right now, we need to rely on our offense, and hopefully they keep hitting. Well, I mean, we are swinging the bat really good. And, you know, we got blanked last night, like you said. And those are the nights where hopefully your, your starting pitching is going to give you a chance to win. And we don't, you know, we don't have the matchups right here. Eduardo Rodriguez is going to start uh, game one against Seattle. And then Porcello would go after him typically, but. If they want to use Shawarin, you know, the Pawtucket starter, they can slot him in wherever they'd like. Chris Sale won't be used in this series. Um, well, actually, would he? No, he wouldn't. He, would, he wouldn't start till Monday. So, um, or actually, it'll be Tuesday. He's pitching Friday. tomorrow against Kashner, so he's out. Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely so. out. And so we're going to have two of those guys, you know, in this series, and we're going to need the offense that you just talked about to show up in, in at least both of those games because it could be a potentially high-scoring game. I mean, tonight was 6-5 to five going into the uh, eighth inning. So, um, you know. Look, the, Seattle's we, – we have no probables except for Friday. It's Swanson versus Erod, and then right. Seattle has announced Felix Hernandez versus TBD, and, and neither team has announced anything for Sunday. Let me just highlight a couple of things. 
Swanson sucks. He's one and three with a four point nine four ERA. He has seventeen strikeouts. Um, he just got his first major league win. He stinks, right? He stinks, and he's going to be pitching in Fenway Park. He's a rookie pitching in Fenway Park, and he's going to look over his right hand shoulder, and he's going to see that wall. And I just have a hard time believing that he's going to shove. So Erod's trending in the right direction. Um, and I, 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 and I just frankly like that game, even if it means we kick the field goal and they only score the touchdown, we win 10, seven. I, I like that game. Felix Hernandez. This is one of those situations where when you look at the name, you go, Oh fuck Felix Hernandez. Well, guess what? Felix Hernandez, the current iteration sucks. He sucks. He wouldn't be on this team. He wouldn't be on the Red Sox. He wouldn't be on probably 27 other teams if all things were created equal and he wasn't pigeonholed into a contract. He's 33 years old. He's been done for two years. He just got absolutely rocked by the Yankees. And um, since like last year, he's 1 and 11 with like a 6 ERA. Um, and then, you know, against Boston, he's like 0 and 3 with an 80 ERA or something like that. Yeah, not pretty. It, He's he's not good anymore, and he's still pitching because they're paying him twenty something million dollars a year based on past performance. Now, who, I mean, who knows who starts Saturday, and who knows who starts Sunday? But they're coming to us instead of us coming to them. And at the end of the day, I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic that if we can win tomorrow, we, we're catching Seattle at the right time with the wrong guys starting for them. And we can go out there and score some runs because the offense, I think, is going to start is going to continue to click. So we'll see what happens. But things are shaping up. We're not facing the Seattle team that was like ten and three at one point and had a you know had a home run in the first twelve games of the season. That's not the same team. Now they are good and they do slug. Terry's right uh, on that topic. On not much else, but on that topic. We're and, cautiously optimistic. Yeah. But but this is this is shaping up. You got to win tomorrow. You got your ace on the mound. The guy you're paying 150 million dollars, and then they have two guys who have an average of a 5.1 ERA in the next two games. So it's shaped up where we can make some hay here, hopefully. Well, the I do as well feel good about the Erod start. I feel great about that. Um, but the next three starts are going to be some combination of Shawarin, Weber, and Porcello. Those are the three guys that are going to slot in there. We just don't know the order yet. But those are the three. I feel good about the Porcello start. I mean, he's been absolutely lights out. If you go by, like, the last three or four starts alone, that's Cy Young Rich Porcello from 2016. But um, he's, he's been real good. It's been, you know, it's been right. – um, uh, with uh, uh, what's his name there? Their their former ace, I guess now. Um, Hernandez. Yeah, he, he was having a good season. Felix Hernandez. He was having a good season until the Yankees started. He had a three eighty six, you know, ERA coming into that. Many people in Seattle thought, okay, he's he's learning how to pitch, you know, to his age thirty something self and. And so I don't know. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna write him off against the Red Sox. I mean, if if we don't show up similar to last night, then who knows? Who knows? Uh, but I don't know. I'm just. It shouldn't be worse than a split, but it, I'd feel a lot better, you know, if we had Price in in there, or Voldy. I guess I wasn't. Voldy sucked 
in, in all but one start, you know, but still at least you know who he is and he's going to give you a chance. We don't, we don't know about those minor Uyghurs. Um, another thing I just noticed about uh, Seattle, you know, they, they lead the league in home runs and RBIs. The, the next closest team, Seattle has 70 home runs. Next closest team is the Dodgers with Cody Bellinger. And uh, they got 57. So that's quite the, quite the gap there. And then the Mariners are fourth in the league in stolen bases. So they can certainly be hell on the base pass and play a little bit of small ball. So um, I don't know. I, I'll, I'll be happy with a split here, to be honest. I'm cautiously optimistic about our chances with Seattle. I think we're going to play well against them. I think our offense will show up, and I think our whoever we come up with as pitchers will surprise us. We'll support and him with I, runs. I won't be here, but I'll be interested to see how things line up for the Colorado series because if that's um, Freeland and uh, Marquez, even if we only face one of the two, that'll be uh, – Kind of a fun matchup. I'm kind of bummed that we're not gonna. I'm not gonna see that. But that that's home at Fenway, so maybe maybe they'll have a little bit of jet lag that series. But Terry, uh, can I just give you a, a warning because I'm a transparent, and honest guy? Yeah, sure. If sure. you come back a week from now and we've run off seven in a row, the passwords will be changed. <laughs> okay, it will be the Liz podcast. And we're going to have no idea who you are. It's going to be like the original born identity. The so just, just, just don't get Wally pipped here, big guy. Don't get Wally pipped. That's all I'm going to say. It's funny you say that because I've never had a passport before until like a couple weeks ago. And right when I opened it up, I'm like, I feel like Jason Bourne. And I'm a big Matt Damon guy, so... I love watching all those movies. I still haven't seen the last one yet, but um, but the first three were phenomenal. And Jeremy Renner was all right in the in the fourth one. Terry, but, Terry. I could take or leave the movies. I'm talking about you not, <laughs> not being a part of the podcast. <laughs> no, we're now we're doing movie reviews. Watch it. If if they go seven and zero while you're in Europe, stay the fuck over there. All right, help us out. Well, it could be better yeah, than that, really. Thing. Uh, actually, well, no, because Thursday's an off day. So what would it be? It would be six and zero. Whatever, Terry. <laughs> Semantics. Yeah. If they're if they're running the streak, it's like it's like you got to pee, but you're just on a heater at the blackjack table. You sit tight and and <laughs> those take one for the team, man. I, you, I, I will, well, I'll tell you what, Terry. We'll call you in three weeks. You better have a British accent. All right. He's going to Ireland. Whatever. Yeah, Difference without a It's made stuff. Come on. Hey, those are my people. Seventy-five percent Irish, man. Seventy-five. Like, like an extra in season three of Sons of Anarchy. All of a sudden, whatever. <laughs> the Next time Jeremy and I fight like seventh-grade schoolgirls, I'm just busting out the Irish accent. Great. I look forward to that, really. Good night. Go Sox. Got to win tomorrow against the shitty team, and then we'll roll into the, the Rockies, and we got favorable matchups in the first two games, so we'll see what and happens. And we'll miss you, Terry. Right, Jeremy? No. Yes, no. Jeremy. Steph. Jeremy. Don't, don't say things you don't mean. Okay. <laughs> Good night. All right. Go to bed, yeah. Jeremy. You're, you're really grouchy right now. 
<laughs> All right. Good night. Bye. Bye. All right. So uh, I'll reconnect with uh, you, Stephanie, in a few minutes.